0: journeys i'm your host kathy mcknight if you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered how did i get here whether literally or figuratively in terms of your career or life in general then you're in good company and have come to the right place on uncharted journeys you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow zigzaggy or somewhere in between paths to success today's guest is an emotional intelligence coach professional speaker and trainer who recently was ranked by hubspot among the top 15 female motivational speakers I might add, ahead of Oprah Winfrey and Mel Robbins, so kudos. (laughs) A world traveler, she has visited more than 38 countries, lived in eight, and speaks five languages. Her global experiences give her a unique perspective and ability to connect with diverse audiences around the world. In 2014, at the World Championship of Public Speaking, she ranked in the top 20 of the 35,000 globally diverse speaker entrants, which gives you some idea just how great of a speaker she is. For almost 20 years, she's been engaging and inspiring audiences around the world with tools and strategies from her Dare to Care framework. These lucky keynote and workshop attendees have learned about her proven theories and methodologies to build thriving work cultures with emotional intelligence. She's worked with the likes of Whirlpool Inc., Lockheed Martin, Capital One, and Doctors Without Borders. I Dare to Care is the title of both her her book and her podcast both of which focus on using emotional intelligence skills to inspire influence and achieve remarkable growth her positivity is infectious and you can't help believe you can do whatever you put your mind to after just one talk with her about your ideas we only met a few weeks ago but i'm so excited to have her here and
1: share her journey welcome solia baffer thank you so much uh, thank you kathy i appreciate the introduction and the welcome
0: so, I mean, that's a highlight reel. Uh, you've done so much, um, and even though you've really concentrated in, and been in a singular focus, you've you've worked with so many diverse organizations. And can you tell our audience a little bit more about you know what you do and what um, it is to be an emotional intelligence coach and your Dare to Care framework?
1: Yeah, well, that's a uh, where do I begin is part of the question I ask myself. Um, you know, so I, I have worked with diverse organizations and, and at the heart of it, I, my goal is helping them build healthy work cultures, right? Because as human beings who are, you know, for anyone who is working in an organization, you exist in relation to other people. You know, we don't work in isolation. And so we have to learn to navigate the complexity of our work relationships. And uh, so the emotional intelligence skills that I sort of bring to, to organizations is is meant designed to help them navigate through their workspaces in more productive and more collaborative ways you know making sure that people are self aware and emotionally regulated and empathizing with those that even they disagree with and and yet still allowing people to to feel seen and valued so that's been a fun journey because every organization has their own needs right and different challenges that they're trying to overcome and and uh yeah so it's it's i learn as much hopefully as as they do from the time i've spent with them I can't I can't remember the last question you asked me. Oh, okay.
0: that's that's good. That yeah. that's a great overview of, of what you're doing. So that's that's amazing and we'll dig into that a little bit more, but as I do with all of my guests, we'll start off with the uh the core questions if you're ready. Yeah, sure. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? <laughs>
1: I'm I'm chuckling, Kathy, because you're going to you're going to laugh at this, but it's so true and and my mother you know, thankfully, is still alive to to testify to this. But the very first career that I I I I believed that I would land in was to become a tourist. You know, people would ask me when I was much younger, "It's like, what do you want to do when you grow up?" And I'd say, "I want to be a tourist." And uh, <laughs> you know, my mother used to think I was joking, but uh, uh, and it's part of the reason I love traveling and love being in airports and stuff like that. But it, I think, it just centered around seeing the rest of the world, being a part of other people's cultures and experiencing that. So that was definitely, you know, I wouldn't quite classify it now as a tourist. I'd probably find something else like some, you know, photojournalist or something with National Geographic, you know, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I can admit that I did see tourist, you know, for many years when I was younger.
0: <laughs> and I mean, Today, you actually, as, a, as an influencer, uh, to get sponsored to travel the world, you could just be that, a tourist. That <laughs> is actually a career now. And people get paid money to, to do it. So I, don't, I, think you were, I think you were very um, avant-garde and, and foreshadowing the world to come in, in picking that as your, your potential career. And it's not too late. You could, still, you could still do that. Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's good to know.
0: Do you remember who the first big influencer on your life was? <sighs>
1: I would have to say my father um Eric Barfor. and the reason I say that is because you know he was he was a relatively unconventional you know when I thought of the stereotypical african male you know I looked at my 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 friends parents and uh my father was just You know, for instance, you know, I um, grew up appreciating classical music, which is kind of unheard of to be in a growing up in a household in Botswana or Lesotho or Cameroon or Zimbabwe and, you know, have Sundays with Johann Sebastian Bach and Beethoven blasting, you know, in in the corridors. Um, So I I would say my father was my first influencer because he also was such a kind and gracious man um, and you you know he showed you what it meant to be human and to see the humanity in other people. And I saw that from my very early days, which interestingly is is a lot of what I focus my my, my career path on now. So when you say influencer, I think for me Eric Barfel is was the earliest. Yeah.
0: That's great. Uh, somebody who can set the example of being human, what it is to be human and to point out that we always need to remember that every person good bad or indifferent whether we like them or not has humanity behind them I think is an important thing for us to be able to connect with others so that's an amazing example to have from from early days Mm. so that's great
1: yeah is
0: there a song that epitomizes your your career path or maybe something that you're connecting with recently
1: yeah I I um Interesting enough, I, the, the song came to my mind and, and it, it actually made me realize that it's a lot of what I think about when I look back on my life and career. And it's the Frank Sinatra song. I did it. I did it my way. I think that's the, the title. Um, And I just think about the fact that I've I've lived pretty unconventionally. Um, and once again, I'm sort of comparing myself, to the typical little African girl, you know, because uh, I lived in eight different uh, African countries. But I think looking back it's you know I've always tr- sort of done it my own way you know even down to the most trivial things like I I always wore jeans with holes in them and flip-flops when people were being asked to dress up in you know fancy shoes I just you know uh I just never sort of went with the crowd you know and I never liked convention in that way and and doing things just because everyone else was doing it you know and I think Frank Sinatra's song I was listening to the other day in, in the car, and it just it felt good. Like it epitomized a lot of what uh, my my journey has looked like, you know. And I I hope I continue to do it my way because it brings me peace.
0: Well, if it brings you peace, I can't imagine you following any other path at this point, and it served <laughs> you well. So, uh, yeah, keep going. And and Frank is iconic, right? So, which is which is the direction that you're heading in with with the coverage and whatnot that you're getting. But we'll get into that in a minute. What are three words you'd use to describe you and or your career?
1: Three words that I would use, I would say th- thoughtful, tenacious, inspiring. Thinking about myself, my you know, it's it's always been important to me, at least in my since my teenage years to to be the kind of person that that keeps others in mind, you know, and, and then of course tenacity, just in, you know, the past 19 years of just grinding with my speaking business and going from not being able to speak my way out of a paper bag to sort of figuring and navigating through the ups and downs. I think uh, tenacity is, uh, you know, one, one way that I would sort of describe myself. And then just, I think it's important for me to be, Uh, what's the, an inspirational presence, you know, wherever I can, right? I I, I often, I have this saying that I I chuckle about sometimes. And I say that, you know, in your interactions with with others, you know, do people crave your presence? Or do people crave your absence? You know, and I, I think about the fact that, you know, I prefer that you know, when my phone number comes across someone's phone screen that that they look forward to answering, right, versus thinking they'll put it off for another month. And so when you are someone who's inspiring to others, uh, I think it, it bodes well. Right. It, it 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 creates more more good than it does bad. So so I would say thoughtful, tenacious and inspiring.
0: That's great. I hadn't thought about it in context of something so simple as a phone call and we all know, you know, of course, because with, with our mobile phones, everybody has call display, right? So we know right away um, it is a conscious decision whether or not we pick up the phone or don't, knowing who's on the other end, or in the case of numbers unknown, you know, choosing to block it because obviously it's somebody you don't know. Right. Uh, but what an interesting way of, of thinking about that. And I, you know, I, I really like that idea of, of intentional having an intentional presence, right? Mm -hmm. Something you want to set a tone for when you interact with people. Mm -hmm. So what has your career journey been like, look like? And, you know, how did, how does one become an emotional intelligence coach and worldwide speaker?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm smiling because uh, it's probably a, a sort of windy journey. I mean, if I can quickly start with so I, I, I was a business consultant with uh, Arthur Anderson, and this was before the whole Enron scandal. And I said, I promise I wasn't shredding papers along with them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did that for a year and then and then got certified as a life coach um, about 21 years ago now, when it was a very new and sort of unregulated industry. And it was interesting because I, at 22 years old at the time, it was a good challenge for me to try to figure out how to get clients because people would say, you know, what do you know about life that you can teach me at this young age? And, um, but I I built a practice for a couple of years and then transitioned into professional speaking and for, The first decade of my 19 year journey as a speaker, I think I was what what I like to think of as I was a a wandering generality instead of becoming a a meaningful specific in terms of the work that I would be known for. You know, no one could could say people could say we know Sylvia as a speaker, but we don't know what she speaks about because I was just sort of all over the place. And and so emotional intelligence, I think, became something of a focus for me probably about seven or so years ago. Uh, because I realized I had been practicing those skills long before I knew what to call it. You know, and I think Daniel Goleman's book and just sort of reading up on that made me realize that a lot of the content I'd been sharing from the stage when I didn't really have a focus um, was around emotional intelligence skills. And so I decided to write a book four years ago and just kind of, you know, go all in and and uh, yeah, just take the lived experiences and, and apply those to, to my presentations, to my trainings and, and all yeah. So that's sort of the background. And in terms of I think you said how does one become an emotional intelligence coach? Uh various ways, right? Some people get certified. I did not, you know, my certification are um, my lived experiences in the book that I wrote four years ago. And uh yeah, that's so you know, I I um that's I'm the unconventional one, right? And, and I'm fine with that. It's okay.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> well, the street lessons are often the ones that are truly applicable, as as, as opposed to the ones that we learn in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So um, there should be no judgment on whether or not it's a you know you have a degree on your on your wall or not. But you know, making the transition from a business consultant or a, a management consultant into something like a life coach is a is a pretty significant. Uh, jump it 's a big change. Was there a defining moment decision action something that really impacted the trajectory of your career that anchored you into wanting to focus in on one being a professional speaker first of all, which is you know a lot of people 's fear um, but two really leaning into the emotional intelligence side of things
1: mm. Uh defining moment decision. Uh you know, I, I would say that it it happened in nineteen ninety nine when I was working for Arthur Anderson and I'd been there for a year and having been a foreign student of I needed them to sponsor my work visa, right? For me to continue staying on. And interestingly enough, they were actually transferring me to the Toronto Canada office um because it was gonna be much easier for me to get my residency and, and work permit and everything in Canada. Uh but unfortunately what they didn't realize is that I needed to have a work permit in America and in Canada, even though I was going to be living in Canada, but working on a project in D.C. And by the time they applied for that work permit, it it canceled out my entire status in the country because to, to the immigration services, it looked like fraud. Like you were trying to right. essentially work in two countries and they didn't know this. And so I've packed my bags. I've picked up, pick, picked out a high rise, an apartment, a high rise building in Toronto and just ready to go when this news came, you know, and it was very shocking and blindsiding because I had fifteen days to leave the country, you know, and I obviously didn't want to be here illegally. And so so then I jumped into graduate school and that sort of bought me another 18 months. But in that time I had this realization that I couldn't allow anyone to control my destiny financially the way I I had because it just came to a crashing end, right? And and so I I I had gotten certified as a life coach sort of in between that uh that period of time and yeah I started building my practice and, and I remembered when Arthur Anderson was giving me the, the, the news, I remembered a quote that I heard Gary Zukov, the spiritual guru, Gary Zukov say on Oprah Winfrey's show one day, and it's and I don't know how it entered my mind, but it was very calming for me. And it was pivotal in me not making an, an irrational decision. Because his voice was saying in my head was you know you can never use negative emotions to make an important decision in your life and expect to get a positive outcome and I knew that I was experiencing very unpleasant emotions I thought you know they just screwed me over, done me wrong, all of that stuff you know but i I didn't understand why it was happening, but I knew it was happening for a reason, and I just needed to to be still enough you know and not be irrational and That allowed me to think clearly and and grad school became, you know, an option to jump in to buy me some time. But that was pivotal because that started me on the life's coaching certification and then the professional speaking journey. And then, of course, where I am now. Um, And it was at the time, it looked like maybe the worst thing that had happened to me. And, And it's such an important lesson for all of us that sometimes when things don't go your way, it's for a reason, you know, because... I believe that in order for something great to come into your life, something seemingly good must first exit. And I think that's the Mama. case sometimes. That's just my little philosophy, you know?
0: <laughs> I like that. Um, I hadn't thought about it in quite those, those contexts. I'm, I'm, fir- I'm with you. I, I am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. We may know quickly or it may take years, decades for the penny to drop, to realize, ah, that's why that happened. But the concept of having to let go of something good to get something better—the sacrifice you need and the chance you need to take—I, I'd never thought of it that way. I, I like that. Mm. That is, that is really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could because I, I, I'll tell you, Kathy, that I would never. I would be the one in corporate America, you know, probably the big salary, big savings. Miserable, you know, because yeah, yeah, I was I was your goody two shoes. Give me stuff, I will do what I'm told and keep rising through the ranks. But I don't I don't know if ordinarily I would have sprung in on an entrepreneurial path on my own, you know. And so that which was seemingly good, you know, sort of the career trajectory through corporate America, needed to make way for the independence I have doing it on my own, you know.
0: So it was a good thing.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: So what is your current role like? What is what is today as an emotional intelligence coach, speaker, uh, author, podcaster, et cetera, What does that look like today versus, say, the speaker that you were and the work that you were doing? Like you said, you know, even a short seven or eight years ago. What are some of the, the different challenges and compromises that you're having to make?
1: Huh? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a, a different journey. If I look back over the last seven years, for one thing, I, I'm much more centered in in who I am and the role that I'm playing in the work I do uh, as a keynote speaker, as a trainer, an executive coach. And seven years ago, I wasn't coaching executives, for instance, right? And and the opportunity to 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 work with people in varied. Leadership situations, you know, where you have a VP of HR who is maybe trying to become more approachable. You know, in another case, you have a VP of client success who is sort of a type A personality and expects everyone to be as amazing and brilliant as he is. And and just, you know, I think for me, the challenge is in the fact that there is no rule book, right, on how I approach these interactions. You know, there's no rule book that dictates what I should and and shouldn't be doing with an individual in particular. And so it's been empowering. And sorry if you're hearing an ambulance in the background, maybe you're not, but I live i live near a hospital. Um, but yeah, I think it's, so one of the challenges has been uh, the opportunities, right? In the last seven years, my opportunities have multiplied because I've worked hard to get better at what I do. And with those cha- opportunities has come the challenge of not being uh, swallowed by imposter syndrome, for instance, right? Because I I sometimes may get an executive coaching client who has a really complex sort of human skills problem to deal with. And I may feel intimidated in the beginning because I'm not quite sure how I'm going to approach coaching them and really giving them some value and making this feel meaningful for them. And, and, but yet yeah, there's such a reward on the other side when you can hear them tell you how much what you're you're leading them through is making a difference and the tangible results is creating. So um, definitely benefits and and challenges along the way. And I feel like as I continue to grow, I'm going to face even more complex uh, challenges that will will inspire me just to step up and 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 figure out and navigate and know that I am fully capable, right? Of Of helping people and I'm at this level for a reason and there's no point in wasting energy beating myself up about whether I deserve to be where I am and just much more on focusing on what I can do in in the next step you know
0: overcoming that that belief the you know, really digesting that you deserve to be not only at the table, but, you know, potentially seated at the head of the table
1: Mm.
0: at times. And certainly in your role, there are many times where you need to take that seat at the the proverbial head of the table. I'm sure you don't because that's a power play, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But, you know, proverbially speaking. So, it's 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 interesting to hear the growth pattern not only for you but how that's translated into you being uh, better able to serve your not only your clients but convey that mm. in an, to a larger audience when you're when you're speaking to a crowd. Mm. Yeah. So if you weren't in the emotional intelligence space. Um, and you could do anything. There's no boundaries on, you know, environment or money. And uh, who is Sylvia's alter ego? What would you be doing?
1: That's a very easy question for me to answer, Kathy, because I, I believe that this is actually going to happen at some point if, I, if I'm blessed with good health and, and long enough life. My alter ego, in an alternate life, I would hands down be a sommelier, You know, I would. Ah. Yeah, I I love I love I don't just love wine, but I love the growing process. I love even learning about the idea that some of the most sophisticated grapes come from some of the most harsh and drought like conditions. Right. I, I remember being so intrigued hearing the fact that like one year in Virginia, we had a drought. I think it was 2017. And I remember the wines that came out that year were amazing. And I learned from. The folks at the vineyard that that, the, that these vines had to dig deep and really spread the roots deep into the earth to find those resources, and in the process of lengthening their roots and going really deep, they became very sophisticated in taste and flavor. And it to me was such a, a metaphor for life as well, right? That when we are put in these difficult positions that we don't think we can handle, whether it's COVID nineteen or whatever the case is and the disruption being able to 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 dig deeper than we thought we we were capable of, and then on the other side of that when we look back at who we've become, we could see we're just maybe a little bit more of a sophisticated uh version of ourselves and so yeah just long story short i I would say a Somalier and i I think um my husband's is still rooting for me to to do that in this lifetime so <laughs> i I'm, I'm i yeah one day it's going to happen. <laughs>
0: Wow. Well, I just so I I love wine as well. Uh, I just took a level one course in uh, in wine. So it's it's not a it's not a curriculum towards being a sommelier. Um, there are many who take it before they go to sommelier school. But mm. I found it absolutely fascinating mm. learning about the different regions, about you know how some of the vines that that come from you know the big houses. Um, are hundreds and hundreds of years old and how they've been preserved and the truly antiquitous procedure that a lot of these wines are made from Mm -hmm. even in this modern era and it was it was fascinating so um, I will happily jump on that train with you um, and uh, you can teach me all about wine yeah
1: No, I loved that that you you took the that uh, level one because uh, that's definitely a start, right? It's it's something I should sh- I was supposed to do it last spring and then of course life got in the way, so I I'm definitely looking forward to that, you know?
0: Yeah, it, it, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was um, even learning how to taste wine and mm-hmm. how to have it evolve in your mouth, right? So the tasting process and what to think about and. You know, where it hits and the complement of food. It was it was absolutely fascinating because there was a couple of wines, not to digress too far, but a couple of wines that we tasted where when I first tasted it, it was like, ooh, yeah, no, I there's no way, because I'm not a sweet wine person. And then we paired it, we did it again where we took a sip of wine. Uh, or sorry we we had a taste of f- food that you would accompany typically accompany the wine with and then tasted the wine again and it completely changed mm. the wine right and how it how it went on your palate and the interactions with your taste buds and the feel and everything it was um sorry now I'm, yeah, I'm geeking out about wine but <laughs> it was um it was really, really interesting. So it it got me excited to learn more so that I understand why I enjoy it. Right. I'm always asking the why, like I I, want to understand things. So it was, uh, it was really good. Yeah, that's awesome. So before you turn into a sommelier (laughs) (laughs) and for our listeners, particularly maybe the women in our audience, what would be the best piece of advice you have on life or career success? Really anything you'd like to share?
1: Best piece of advice. Wow, um, I'm gonna cheat here and rapid fire too if I can because I think they're sure, both important. Uh, the first one I would say is it's important for for us, especially as women, to rid ourselves of what I call expensive stories. You know, because we 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 have these narratives and stories we make up about ourselves as a result of the events that happen to us, and long after those events have ended the story that we attach to it lives on and gets a life of its own and contributes to our imposter syndrome, you know? And and so as you think about, you know, women navigating workspaces, navigating hierarchy, trying to be in male-dominated industries and all the challenges that we face, if you can find a way to, to, to not take along with you stories, I, I like to use the word expensive stories because I think about what it costs you to continue to hold on to narratives that are no longer serving you but you're holding onto them because it's so familiar and you don't want to let go. Um, my contention is if you focus on the cost, you could literally sit down and think of one to three to four costs, things that it's costing you to continue to believe that you don't deserve the next promotion, right? You, you, you don't have enough to start your own company, whatever the expensive story is. If you can identify the actual cost of holding onto that story, it makes it a little bit easier to abandon it. Um, and therefore better able to deal with the imposter syndrome that we're all going to experience from time to time. The second uh, piece of advice I would say is focus on influencing the emotional aftertaste of your interactions. You know, as you navigate through spaces personally and professionally, you interact with people every day and, and people feel a certain way having been in your presence. And I like to think that it's typically either sweet or sour and wherever possible, in advance of you interacting with people whether it's the next you know conversation you're going to have with your boss or the the client you're trying to to score and lock down that you've been in conversation with for 6 months and don't seem people able to tie loose ends just you know think think about what you would want them to feel one or two dominant emotions you'd like them to feel by the time you're done interacting with them because that will influence how you go about the conversation
0: can you tell me a bit more about that so when you think about are you talking about almost scripting or is it tone? Is it giving yourself cues to check back and come back onto a track if things go sideways? How do you do that? Because that sounds like something that everybody should know how to do.
1: Yeah. So I think of it this way, you know, I'll, maybe I'll frame it this way. So I had a, a client I was coaching recently and she was having an all hands meeting because she's a VP and she wanted to send across a message, uh, because people hadn't signed up for, for some free experience that the company was offering. And it was a bit annoying for her that people just didn't have the courtesy to just RSVP simply, you know. And, and so I think 39%, 39 percent, thirty nine people responded and 17 hadn't yet. And it was going to cost the company money if they didn't hear from these people. So she gets into the meeting and one of the things she said to them, because she was annoyed, right? And she said, um, you know, we're looking forward to having you all join us on this this experience, this excursion. Uh, but 17 of you haven't bothered to to RSVP, you know, and that singular sentence, that word bothered is loaded with judgment. You know, so I stopped mm-hmm. her and I said, I said to her before the all hands meeting, what did you want these people to feel by the time you were done having a conversation with them about this excursion? And she said, I want them to feel valued, like the company cares about them and wants them to have some sort of work life balance, go, you know, going on. And then I said to her, well, what are the odds that a statement like 17 of you haven't bothered to respond is going to elicit those emotions that you actually wanted to create in them? So so that's simply what I mean, is that whenever we have a chance, we won't always right? You're about to go and talk to a boss about a promotion or like, you know, what do you do you want them to feel inspired by you, for instance? Right. Um, You're about to have a difficult conversation with someone who uh their friend coworkers got laid off, but they get to stay on in the, in the job you know if you want them to feel hopeful about showing up and still giving their best to the company it's going to influence the ch- your choice of words. You may even actually use the emotions in your phraseology. You may say, you know, I want you to feel hopeful that your contributions are seen and valued. that That's what I mean is that you influence the emotional aftertaste by being intentional with your communication style. When you think about what you want someone to feel by the time they leave your presence, it absolutely will influence how you choose to go about the conversation.
0: Got it. Yeah, That's super helpful. Thank you. So. You are, as we mentioned, you're speaking all over the place. Where can our audience find you? Web, social, any upcoming events that they can check out?
1: I, I'm definitely on LinkedIn three times a week at least. So um, I think it's what LinkedIn.com forward slash Sylvia Baffor. I'm relaunching my podcast actually as a co-hosting conversation and that's going to be coming out in January. Um, but I do have some episodes recorded on Apple and Spotify and it's just under I Dare You to Care. If you type mm-hmm. in I dare you to Carriage, you should be able to find my podcast. Um, where else? I'm on Instagram, Sylvia Speaks. Uh, you can find me with Sylvia Speaks as well. I don't have any upcoming events at the moment because I'm actually traveling overseas for two months. But certainly in the new year, anyone who is on LinkedIn, I, I invite you to connect, engage. Let me know where you you connected with me, where you heard of me. And, and I would love to reciprocate and, and uh, engage with you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Safe travels moving forward. Thank you. To my audience, thank you for listening to Untarted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sylvia and hearing about her journey to carving out and building a successful career as an emotional intelligence coach and speaker, and how important it is to make sure that we're purposeful in our communications and knowing what we want people and how we want people to feel after the conversation is over. If you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some of the other episodes. You can also sign up to our email newsletter there as well as check out the show links and resources. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the
2: journey. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more.